Well then, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, again, we're continuing on in this challenge, and to remind you, we call it the Red Letter Challenge, because in many Bibles out there, the words of Jesus are highlighted in red. We are challenging ourselves to live more fully in those letters of Jesus, those words of Jesus, those teachings of Jesus. So right now, you should be in the week of being. I think specifically, actually, I don't remember specifically today what you should be in, but you should be in this week of being, where we are, as you might remember from last week, if you weren't here last week, that's okay, we reflected on the fact that who we are is our being. And what God has done is given us a new identity in Christ Jesus, which we are then given in the waters of holy baptism. Well, let's be honest, that's just one of the many ways that God gives us this identity as he is constantly working through every aspect of our lives. But then we need to seize that identity, to be that child of God, to be in, in prayer and in God's word and in worship. Well, let's look around. We're doing pretty good at being in worship, but here's the challenge. How are you doing at being in worship every day of the week? How are you singing your praises to your God and lifting up your prayers to him and gathering with brothers and sisters in Christ to worship your God every day of the week? The weather's starting to get a little nicer out here. It means the nature center's starting to open up a little bit more. As you go out for a walk in nature, how are you worshiping God around the, the beauty of creation? Not just in Sunday or Saturday uh, worship or even the midweek worship, but in every walk of your life. This is the challenge of being, is to push yourself to seize that identity more fully, cling to the cross of Christ more fully to be that child of God. But now as I introduced uh, the, the service this morning, I talked about how I'm going to be doing this. What we're going to be doing is, I'm going to give you an introduction to the week much before you actually get into the week. So you're in the middle of the week of being, and I'm going to tell you about the week of forgiving. So that when you get to that week of forgiving, you'll have a nice foundation to build upon. And really, forgiveness is, it's the beginning, it's the middle, it's the end of our faith. Every little spot of who we are as a baptized child of God is to be in forgiveness. Because we start in our walk of faith by receiving the forgiveness of God. Whether that is the absolution that the pastor declares to you as you have said, I have sinned. And as the pastor in the stead and by the command of Christ Jesus blesses that person with forgiveness. Whether that's you learning about the cross of Christ as the Holy Spirit has led you to know him. Whether that begins with the waters of holy baptism. It all begins with the forgiveness of God. And then comes our walk of faith. We have been given God's forgiveness, and so it's great because there's no possible chance that we could ever sin, right? I wish that were true. We still struggle. And many of us ask this, this challenging question to God, lifting up our woes to him, God, if you have redeemed me, why am I still fighting with this? Why am I still sinning? Why can't I break myself away from this? And if you remember from the midweek service, again, if you weren't here, it's okay. But we looked a little bit at Paul as he shares his woe to God in Romans 7. 
Paul, who's this unreal preacher and missionary and, and church planter, and oh, if there's a category, Paul probably fits into it. Paul is this great worker, and we have these letters of, of Paul that the Spirit has used in our scriptures, and it's just beautiful. But man, there is nothing that is so easier to identify with than Romans 7. Because when we get to Romans 7, we really feel these words. I don't get it. I don't understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. That good stuff I don't, that I do want to do, I'm not doing it. I should be doing it, but I don't. And it sends us into this pit of despair. But that also leads us to one of the most important aspects of forgiveness, which is that forgiveness is not a one-time thing. You see, the cross of Christ and the empty tomb were a once-in-all-time event. But that forgiveness was one for all people, for all time, for all places. This has such far-reaching consequences that we will always be able to receive the forgiveness of God offered from Christ. And the psalmist today in 103 writes it so beautifully, Bless the Lord who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. This is the work of our Lord Jesus who has done this for us because we were in the bottom of this pit, held down by chains and by sin and by death, and he released us. Christ came to us and released us. But there's even more love that we see in Christ's forgiveness because Christ didn't break these chains off of us. He placed those chains upon himself. That crown of, of love and mercy that is placed on our heads was taken from his. And no longer using imagery, but this is what the cross is. It is where we belong because of our sin, because of our guilt. But in the love of God, Christ is there for us. Thanks be to God for that forgiveness, and thanks be to God even more that that cross is empty. That the body of Christ was taken down, was placed in a tomb. And as tragic and terrible and sad as the death of our God is, what is even more joyous is the fact that that tomb is empty. He is not a corpse. He is not a corpse rotting. He is not some bones wasting away, forgotten. He is risen. He is alive. And this pit of death and sin and despair is now filled in like a pothole filled in in the road. Maybe that's not a good image to use for Minnesota. But it's filled in. And we now live with Christ. And we live with Christ constantly placing that cross uh, as a necklace, as, as tattoos, as, uh, on the ends of our pews, on our books, on our hymnals. This big old honking cross right in the middle of our church. It is everywhere for us because it is the exact point, like a crosshair, where we see constant forgiveness. Where we can gather together at the beginning of service and say, God, I have sinned because of my brokenness. And God, thankfully and somehow working through me, brings you forgiveness. And going back to Paul in, in Romans 7, again identifying with his woes. 
The good I want to do, I'm not doing it. The bad I don't want to do, I keep doing it. And as Paul so wonderfully says, what a wretched person I am. And who is going to deliver me from this body of death? And immediately his eyes turn to Christ, as all of our eyes should. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Because it is through this Jesus that we are saved constantly, every single day. It is where we go with Luther and we say every day we need to seize this baptismal identity knowing that we have died to sin and risen with Christ. This is why so many churches that are are out there, you might have been in some of them, you might not have, but many churches have their baptismal font at the entrance of the sanctuary filled with water and you're supposed to touch that water and feel that water, and know that a part of this water has been placed on you in holy baptism, and you are a baptized child of God who is forgiven of all of your sins, and that you as a child of God can continually, no matter how many times you fail, can continually go to him for forgiveness. But we don't stop there. We are not forgiven so that we have permission to sin, so that we can just do whatever we want. We are forgiven to be released. We are given forgiveness so that we can find great relief from our guilt and from our shame. And so the challenge of this week is to seize that cross of Christ more fully, just like the challenge was last week. As you are to seize the identity here, you are to seize your identity as a forgiven child of God. You know, it seems simple to seize that forgiveness, but really, if you're anything like me, there's guilt. There's always guilt that's right there that overshadows this forgiveness at times even. This silly little voice in your head starts speaking and saying, he's not going to forgive you this time. You keep failing like this, he's going to give up on you. But it's a lie of the evil one. Because God continually comes to you and says, My child, I love you. I forgive you. And as Christ forgave so many their sins, God says the same thing to us. Go and sin no more. Be released from this burden and the shame to be my child. So after seizing that, we'll then really reflect on what sin is. What is this problem of sin? And more importantly, how do we look at it and how does God look at it? Because for us, we do this. We weigh sins differently. That little white lie that you, that you tell somebody, oh, it's just innocent. It's not going to hurt anything. It's very different from murder. But not in God's eyes. As we read in Scripture, if you're guilty concerning one part of the law, you're guilty concerning the whole thing. Because the truth is that God hates and despises sin. To our earthly ears, hearing that a small white lie is the same as murder is preposterous. But to God's ears, it's preposterous that we weigh sins differently. That we don't acknowledge the seriousness of every little aspect of sin. So the challenge for us is to, serious, is to take sin very seriously. To live in the life of forgiveness, freed from all sin. Then the next part is to reflect on judgment. Because you and I have been judged. As sinners, we have been judged. 
The cross of Christ is our place of judgment. And we are judged to be forgiven. Judgment isn't always necessarily a bad thing. If you go to court and you are judged innocent, probably pretty good for you. And as we have gone to the holy court of God, Christ has stood before us and said to God the Father, they are innocent because of what he has done. And so now again, living in that forgiveness is also living in how we judge. And Jesus gives this ridiculous message saying that how can you tell your brother, hey, you've got a little speck in your eye when you've got this beam of wood sticking out of your own? And it's, it's a ridiculous image that he is creating, but it is supposed to be ridiculous. It's supposed to be a little bit silly because he wants you to hear how silly you are when you judge like that. When you don't reflect on your own sin and the own problems that you have, but yet you are turning to point out the sins of everybody else. Living a life of forgiveness means starting with your own heart and forgiving and the living in that forgiveness yourself before you start bringing that to others. You need to realize that you are forgiven. And many times when we judge, we say that you need to be forgiven of your sin, but I don't. Because the reality is that we all need this forgiveness. And then the next challenge that comes up, living in forgiveness, is to live in mercy. As we have reflected on sin, as we have reflected on judgment, we see God's mercy, God's grace. We see how he has handled us. We see what, what love the, the Father has shown to us as he has been merciful to those who do not deserve mercy. We are guilty. It is this, the simple fact. But now God calls us to be merciful. As, as John says, Love as you have been loved. It is now to turn the other cheek. It's no longer an eye for an eye. It is now turn the other cheek. This radical change of love that we are called to live in mercy. That if we have been wronged, not to pay them what they deserve, but to give them mercy. To not repay evil with evil, but to repay evil with good. This is the, the radical life of forgiveness and mercy. And then again, more of this challenge flows from that. Because let's, let's be real. Hurt causes such a problem in our hearts. It will, it will hurt us in such a way that it's hard to let go of it. It's hard to forgive someone. We have heard of those awesome stories where uh, a, a person has been murdered by somebody else and the person who was murdered, their parent, goes and forgives that person. We love those stories because it is the beauty of forgiveness. But if we're honest, I don't know if I could do that. It's, it's unbelievable to forgive something like that. It's unreal. It's only something for a story that you hear every once in a while. I'm not that person. But the challenge then is to be that person. 
Maybe not as something as, as big as murder, but is there a grudge you're holding on to? Something that you just, a, a hurt, a pain that you have not let go? Forgive your brother, forgive your sister of the sins that they have done against you. To seriously confront sin and say, I have been hurt, but I forgive you. You know, we already did this already this morning. It's what confession and absolution is. Where we acknowledge the sin that we have done and ask for forgiveness, and God has given you forgiveness. And now you are to do the same. And then even more flowing out of that is to live more fully in the transformation that God has given you. From this beautiful Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is challenging everybody to live as God desires them to live, Jesus tells them to love your enemies and to pray for those who persecute you. And here is where we are to be transformed even more. You know, as you think about it, we live in fairly peaceful times. The news might tell you a different story, but nobody's beating down our doors with guns. We don't have soldiers marching in the streets. We don't have riots through the streets of Faribault. We live in fairly peaceful times. But there's probably that one person that each of us have in our lives that's just a, a thorn in our side that, that we need to love, pray for, that we need to serve and care for, that we need to forgive and forget these past wrongs and move on in love and in forgiveness towards these people who have persecuted, who have been our enemies. To lift them up in prayer, not so that they would receive the divine vengeance of God, but that they would receive the transformation of forgiveness and of Christ. And then that last sin is, that last sin, excuse me, that last challenge is to flee from sin. Remember Jesus, when he forgives so many people in the Gospels, he says, you are forgiven, go and sin no more. This is our challenge here, is to go and sin no more. We know that in our perfection, it will be hard to absolutely impossible. But yet there is something that I personally like to call our pocket sin. And it's that sin that we always carry with us that when we get ready for the morning, we grab it with our phone, wallet, and keys and put it in our pocket. Or you put it in your purse. It's that sin that you always have with you that you always seem to struggle with. You know, it could be, it could be greed, lust, hatred, being judgmental, being lazy, being a glutton, so many other things. Every single one of us struggles with something. And it's this something that we can't seem to break away from. And honestly, as a young man, the struggle that I have is lust. Living in this world which we live in, there are so many things which seek to tempt me, to cause impure thoughts. And while you might not like hearing your pastor's sin, if I'm going to get you to do it, I have you in it. We have to openly admit our sins and flee from them. We have to push ourselves to be different to live in the forgiveness that God has given us because the forgiveness is not just to say you are forgiven of your sin, but to transform you and to set you free. Because in those pocket sins, we say, thank you, God, for forgiving me. Now, hold on, I got to go do something. And we foolishly fall back into that same thing time and again. 
But fleeing from sin and living in the forgiveness of God means that we wisely go to God and say, I know I'm going to fail specifically with this. Please help me. Please help me to avoid it. Please help me when I struggle with it. Please help me to turn away from it, to repent of it. And I'm coming to you, God, saying this because I know I cannot do it by myself. I have tried and I have failed. I need your strength. And this is all illustrated in our gospel lesson today. As Peter goes up to Jesus and says, All right, Jesus, how many times do I have to forgive my brother? As many as seven times. Which the old truthful teaching of this is, Peter thinks he's saying a lot. Seven times to forgive somebody and then you're done? Yeah, that makes sense, right? But Jesus says no. Not seven times, but 70 times seven. Now, that doesn't mean that you're supposed to get, forgive them 490 times, and at 491, you're just, nope, I'm done. In the mind of a, of a Hebrew person, when they multiplied a number, it emphasized just how big that number was. It emphasized just that it's an always sort of thing. Elsewhere in Scripture, Jesus says that if your brother sins against you time and time and time again, all in the same day, keeps falling back into that same exact sin and sinning against you, what are you supposed to do? Forgive them. The radical thing then is illustrated by Jesus' parable of the kingdom of God, of this master who forgives his servant. It's as if somebody, it's as if uh, um, Navient, my, my, loan, my student loan provider, comes to me and says, all of your student debt is forgiven. Oh my gosh, the burden is gone. I now have money to, to work on other bills, to work on other things, to start saving more, to help me with planning with retirement. There's so much I get to do. I am so freed because this debt is forgotten. But yet I start walking down the street and I see somebody. Hey, don't you owe me 20 bucks? Yeah, I owe you 20 bucks. I, I don't have it right now. I can't forgive you. And then I proceed to beat the person because they owe me money and they have to pay it and pay me now. While that is using the illustration of money, in forgiveness, if you have been released from your sins and you continue to live in judgment and not forgiving, Jesus very seriously warns this is what God the Father will do for you. All of this forgiveness is to be transformative. But again, the, the cross of Christ, the empty tomb, all of this is done to set you free. To give you this beauty of forgiveness, even when you lack forgiveness. And so as I encourage you to seize your baptismal identity, I encourage you to seize the cross of Christ in that empty tomb. And push yourself to be transformed. If you struggle with judgment and you catch your mind judging somebody else, the transformed life, you stop and catch yourself and say, I'm not going to do that. God, please forgive me of this sin. And push yourself. Challenge yourself. Because it is through this example, this life of forgiveness that you then lead, this shows the gospel. This shows the beauty of God's forgiveness. 
This proclaims to the world how you have been forgiven, changed, and brought into God's heavenly family and what that family actually looks like. Amen? Amen. Amen. Amen.